studios in Omaha, Nebraska. It's time now for another edition of The Other Kind Radio. I'm Jeff. I'm one of your hosts. It's been a long time. I had to go conduct some business, some big boy business. For about 28 days I was on the road, um, but that is all concluded. And uh, I'll tell you what, kind listener, I missed you. Much more than you missed me. I'm positive of that. I'd, I'd put uh, a small, large sum of money on that. Hmm? That's pretty descript. Uh, but welcome to the show. Uh, today is the 22nd of April. I think so. I'm checking my calendar. Hey, it's 22nd of April. Um, it's uh, mid-morning, and uh, we're here to, to do a show and have some fun. But first, we got a few things to take care of. Um, as I said, I was in, uh, San Diego, uh, and it was the first time where, uh, I was there long enough. I was there for, uh, even though my total trip was 28 days, I was in San Diego for 17 nights, according to Hilton. And so it was a unique uh, opportunity for the first time, um, to kind of drum up some business, um, if you will, business or listeners, I guess listeners better. Um, to have people listen to the show and then be there for feedback. And I have to tell you, um, the feedback was, was really, really good. A lot of people said that, uh, the quality is good. So kudos to, uh, Todd and myself for, uh, engineering that, um, that, um, uh, the show seems, you know, not forced and relaxed. And that's what we want. We want nice, calm, relaxed conversation happening here on the other kind radio and a lot of people were really interested in how Todd and I met. I don't know if we'll get into that today, but I will share with you that uh, we don't speak on a regular basis, and generally we talk a little bit before the podcast, uh, but then we do the show. And as I've mentioned before, it's all done in one take, so there's no edits or redos. What you see is what you get. What you hear is what you get. What you hear is what you... I don't know. It's one of those. Um, but before we uh, bring in the man that really is the uh, the hummus to my carrot. Um, I do want to send a couple shout outs here. We have a few things to take care of. First of all, uh, thank you, San Diego. Thank you so much for the support for the show. Uh, I want to thank local One Twenty Two. Uh, they're some of the best people you can ever meet and appreciate all of their feedback and, uh, support, uh, Jeff, Matt, Rizzo, Brian, Bill, those kind listeners that took time to give some feedback and 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 support the show, um, you know, a lot of the time uh, we kind of shoot it out there in space, and and uh, it's nice to sit down and talk to some people that, uh, uh, you know, give us like I said, I'm going to say feedback again. I'm losing my uh, ability to use other words, but feedback, and um, it really makes the show special. So, 
I won't start crying or anything, I promise. But thank you to all those individuals and all the other listeners um, that have listened to the show. Our, our audience is growing. We have uh, a lot of different countries that are listening to us and a lot of new parts of the um, uh, reg- rest of the world that are listening as well. Okay, uh, next, time versus quality. So I know that we pitched over and over again that we were going to do a show in San Diego. We tried very, very hard. Um, but due to work schedule and then just getting some of the equipment logistics down, um, I want to, I, I, and Todd, Todd and I want to deliver a good quality product. And I don't think we would have been able to do that, uh, from San Diego. So we do have a plan in action, some equipment, some other things we're going to do logistically to better ensure that we have more shows more often, because that was the <laughs> number one piece of feedback we got was, uh, Hey, we need more. So. We will try and meet that. Uh, lastly, before uh, we get taught on the show, I do have uh, a mentor, a dear friend of mine, Scott Rogers, who uh, it was a while back was diagnosed with uh, some pretty awful news for as far as cancer. He's going in Tuesday, this next Tuesday, uh, on some surgeries and whatnot, and uh, just want to uh, take the collective voice of everybody. He's well known in the industry that I work in. And let him know that we've got a lot of thoughts and prayers going out to him and wish him a speedy recovery. So, uh, thinking of you, Scott. All right. So, (laughs) enough of all of that. Let's bring in, like I said, the hummus to my carrot. The man who really makes the show as good as it is. Todd, are you there? Can you hear me? Come in, Todd. I can. I am covering a carrot right now and i don't know how i feel about that but that may have been the oddest yet most poetically sweet description of a friendship i've ever heard well you know it's it's you got to spend some time up in this mind and (laughs) i think we all need to spend some time up in that mind it it would make a movie or a tv series itself Oh, uh, so yes, it's been a long time since we've talked. Uh, let's let's do a two minute run. Tell me, Todd, what are you watching, playing, and reading? Uh, watching for me, I started digging into Lost in Space, the Netflix relaunch of the old classic series that I grew up watching, uh, which oddly has a tie to our our main feature today, and I'll get to that later. Uh, I watched that. Uh, they also have a thing from National Geographic called Inside the American Mob, which I, because of the Godfather films and Goodfellas and whatnot, I've always been a freak about the mob. It's a fascinating series. It's just, so it's like you can watch Lost in Space and watch a little bit about the mob. Go back and forth. Um, playing. We're, we're, I'm sorry, go ahead. We're checking out those two. I, I, you know what? Lost in Space, I'm a little bit wobbly about just okay. because to me it differs so strongly from what they they did with the original and i know you need to update it it's getting stronger as it goes that's what i'll say it, it is getting stronger um, inside the american mob without a doubt if you like that kind of thing it is the story told by the actual people uh the, the film donnie brasco is based on a lot of what they talk about ah. and they actually get into that case so it's fascinating um as far as playing i am doing um the sequel to, oh my God, Shadow of War, the the Mordor thing. I am now playing Middle Earth Shadow of War, uh, and it's you know it's a little tedious. It's it's fun, but it's a lot of the same. And then reading, I just wrapped up reading Logan's Run, the book that the classic film was based on, mm. and I'm moving on to the third book in the Passage series, which is by an author named Justin Cronin, and it's 
is simply a three-part book that his daughter at the time very young simply asked him daddy why don't you ever write a book where a girl's the heroine so he wrote a book it's a little bit dystopian it's a little bit vampire but it was really about the government does experiments on these people and causes odd uh mutations within their bodies and it creates this almost like civilization of vampiric type creatures i know that sounds very baseline but it's a rather adult take on all this and sometimes it, it, it will leap around in time so it takes your mind with you but i, I found it originally because stephen king had said what a great book the first one was and it is so i just started the the last one called city of mirrors you sound busy uh that's probably my one <laughs> fault in life is that i tried to do too much when it comes to consuming media and i know we didn't discuss it in the uh in the beginning of the show but you're also in are you is it are you in six bands now how many bands are you in i um i'm only in officially in one band i you don't know this but i am working with another where it would be me and a woman being co-lead singers and doing kind of a an americana back band where it's a stand-up bass an accordion and a fiddle so that we can actually what we do want to do is take classic songs like the romantics talking in your sleep and you it, the, a band called the civil wars had done this where they traded lines back and forth and suddenly a song like talking in your sleep when you close your eyes and you fall asleep sounds like a man and woman fighting with each other oh and so we're we're taking songs like that and seeing how that'll work but that's very much in the you know nascent days of that and and sometimes i forget in the uh, in the realm of the uh other kind uh universe we should plug so the band you are in where are you guys playing how after you go on we've got listeners down in dallas you need to come check you out uh, it's called city folk we play regularly at eno's pizza pub in the bishop arts district of dallas we also play at four corners brewery which my partner in that and a friend of jeff's uh is an owner of that brewery and then we try to play around here especially now that it's going to start warming up at patios and things like that just a, a two guys on a guitar taking pop songs and country songs and, and just having fun with them. It's, it, it's not pretentious at all. It's simply let's have fun. I've seen you guys play. You guys are fantastic. Steve is actually one of the co-creators of the other kind radio. So he's, he's a very kind soul. Um, and then you've also had uh, some famous people in your audience. I believe one of them was Troy Aikman, which <laughs> I think he was a, uh, he played, was it, foosball what was troy um so that was at the pizza pub and 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 being a dallas cowboys freak since i was a kid and that's one of the things <laughs> you know, when we talk about what jeff and i do talk about when Cowboys season starts up we will go back and forth so I, i'm playing and i'm looking at steve and i turn around and i'll be damned if it's not troy aikman standing there with his foot tapping now he may have been tapping off the beat i wasn't paying attention but his foot was tapping while i was playing guitar so it is the penultimate moment of my musicianship that's awesome. I would have I would have stopped playing. I would have ruined the whole environment by saying, "Hey everybody, look, it's it's <laughs> it's Terry Bradshaw." And and <laughs> and he would have hated me forever and I would have been crushed. So yes. So when you guys do the uh you know, you said it's Eno's Pizza. What is there a regular day or just go to the website and check it out? You can find us on Facebook, just search City Folk within, uh, put City Folk Dallas. There are a couple other city folks in the world, but if you've put City Folk Dallas, you'll find us in anything that we do. Right now, because it's the beginning of the season where people want bands like this, it's a little sparse, but that'll start populating over the next few weeks. Fantastic. Yeah, make sure you go check it. Check out Todd and, and Steve. It is a fun evening. It's a, it's a uh, relaxed and, and kind, very good for the kind listener. Um all right, so that's that's your two-minute rundown. I'll do mine real quick. Right now, I am watching uh, on Net, 
uh, excuse me, on uh, ooh, uh, HBO, the Zen of uh, Gary Shandling. Judd Apatow is doing a, I think it's a four-part series, um, and they are releasing them uh, like a week at a time. So I've only seen the first part, but basically Gary Shandling kept diaries, tons and tons of diaries and notes and everything. So they have started to go through those and are now kind of piecing um, his start uh, into uh, comedy. And then of course where he ended up, um, I uh, recommend that it's worth checking out. I'm also watching um, Barry which has, and you're going to have to help me out here, Todd, because it's the guy that was on uh, Saturday Night Live. Bill Hader. Bill Hader. And it also has the Fonz. Uh, oh, I didn't know that. Whose real name is? Henry Winkler. What? <laughs> Henry Winkler. <laughs> Henry Winkler. And the ba- basic premise of that is there is a hitman. Um, uh, I think it, I think it originates in Afghanistan. He comes home. He realizes the only thing he's really good at is 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 taking hits on people. Uh, he gets a target t- that lives in L.A. Goes out to L.A. in the process of tracking down his his target. Uh, takes an acting class um, and then falls in love with acting. So therein lies the rub. He uh, no he wants to get out of the hitman in business and start acting. Uh, Henry Winkler is fantastic in it. It's got a number of good actors. Uh, don't want to dive too deep into it, but uh, I'm enjoying that so far. Um, as far as playing, I um, <clears throat> not a lot uh, for me that I'm really interested in until Red Dead Redemption 2 comes out. Mm. Um, but I am playing Far Cry 5, and uh, it's just like a lot of the uh, previous versions. Uh, you know, open sandbox kind of... Uh, Open world sandbox. I can't. I don't even know if that's the correct yeah, terminology. And uh, enjoying that, enjoying uh, getting killed by bears and being sprayed by skunks and blowing stuff up and everything. So <laughs> <laughs> I have probably maybe uh, three or four hours uh, into it um, and enjoying that. As far as reading, I you know I'm not a big reader. I I listen to podcasts. If there's a book. Um, which will tie into what we're talking about today that um, I'm interested in. I'll get it on Audible, and with my travels, I'll listen on a plane and, and uh, or at night when I'm going to sleep. But uh, I am reading something right now. It's called um, The Risen, and the tie-in here, and we promise this isn't just a promotional thing. I did, did spend some time last night uh, reading it. Uh, it's a book written by, and we've mentioned before, by Todd. Um and I'm enjoying it. I, th- I you know what I, I what I like about uh, the Kindle app is it lets you know how far into the book you are. Oh yes. <laughs> so I'm reading it like, like oh this is good. And I look down, it's like three percent into the book. It's like all I've done is read the titles. You know, I was like oh that's good. It's either the greatest cliffhanger tool or the <laughs> biggest beat down tool because you're like oh crap I got a long way to go. Right, right. Or it's just OCD. Where are we at now? Where are we at exactly. now? Where are we at right. now? Wait, you turn the page and it didn't change. What does that mean? What does right. that mean? <laughs> That's whenever I read Logan's Run, I had much the same thing. It's a very short book, and I looked down. And I was like, "You're 67 percent into it." And I'm like, "That's got to be a mistake." And I spent probably 10 minutes trying to figure it out. But you know, it's, it's, it befuddles me too. So um, you did send an email out. We we, we do want to support uh, all of the endeavors here. So you are looking for some people. And again, uh, I'll I'll let you give the rundown because I'm uh, um, I don't want to mess any of it up. But uh, your book is available, and then there's something you're needing needing our kind listeners uh, to do. 
So the book is, you know, it, it's a self-published book. You can do that through Amazon and whatnot. And that's not that unique of a deal. What happens with this, getting it out there is not hard. Finding the initial people is hard, but not horrible. But getting that to convert from a read into review is probably one of the most painful things I've ever done because the book has sold uh, just over a few thousand copies. <gasps> it's moved, you know, it, and, and I'm, when I say that, it, we're not talking tens of thousands, but it, you know, the thing is you run promotions, you do these kind of things and you do them on these, they aren't free sites. You have to pay for them, but they don't have a, they'll tell you they have hundreds of thousands of readers. However, Jeff, you know, this having worked in the media business, hundreds of thousands actually means about three people look at their ads. <laughs> and so we'll move the book. And we'll, we'll get news that they've read them. But, you know, the thing is, is most people don't care about reviewing. The problem is, is that book two in this, and this book's called The Risen, Volume One of the Lifetime's War. It was a story that a friend of mine came to. He said, I've never written anything. I know you studied screenwriting. Have you ever thought about writing a book? Very long story short, we wrote it. And now we're, we're probably, I'd say I have about just under 100 pages left to finish book two. Now, just because you write it doesn't mean it's ready to go. We have to create the cover, we have to edit the book, et cetera. But we're at least close enough that we need to start thinking about now we've put our our, our efforts into the first book, this book. There's a short story that, that you can get for free by registering for our email list. So there are three endeavors out there. I want people to start reading this. So I'm going to some of the bigger sites. The problem is they will not look at our book for promotion until we have over 10 reviews. We have eight out of the thousands of sales. We have eight people who reviewed it. I need at least 10. I want like 20. So I sent this email out to my friends going, look, it's a 99 cent book. I can't give it to you for free. For this to work, you have to buy it. You have to at least give the appearance that you've read it. I, even if you read it in a day, I'd prefer you wait a few days to go post the review. But I need reviews. I need people to go in and say, look, this is a great book. Uh, it'd be well worth your time. I, I, I'm hopefully looking for people that will give it good reviews. Uh, but that that's kind of where we are right now. I can't promote this second book. And the second book is a much more dense book. This book was meant to be almost like Star Wars was to that whole saga. It's fun adventure. You're into it. And the other one gives the, the true story. So that's where we are. I need people to go to Amazon, find the book. You can search for The Risen. You can put my last name, Hartzell, H-A-R-T-S-E-L-L. -L, and that'll bring it up. And when you find it, it's 99 cents. And, and this is what I tell people in the email. <laughs> you buy it, I'll refund you the 99 cents. I'll even pay the tax. And so Jeff's fun little aside, tell him, Jeff, what you told me. And I think it's brilliant. <laughs> well, we've had, we have close to 200 listens as far as um, our, our, and it's more than that because we did eventually change to SoundCloud. But to all the kind listeners out there, go buy this book because I want to watch Todd write checks for 99 cents plus tax. 200 times and that would for me that's that's the giggly <laughs> part is he would do it now i don't know you probably what pay him in, in actually paypal or or do you just send him some i'll some pay shame? people however they want <laughs> if they want me to send an a sealed envelope one penny at a time i will do it that's how how behind this idea i am i need reviews i need people so now that changes everything so for those of you who would like an 80s inspired black and white headshot of todd holding a saxophone, wearing a keyboard uh, tie, uh, please buy his book because he will make that photo happen and then send you an autographed, cop uh, autographed copy of that photo uh, to uh, wherever you want to. So uh, let's get crazy yeah, with that. I my Photoshop skills now. <laughs> All right. Well, good. I, I'm glad. I'm excited. I, I, I feel behind. I need, to, I need to read up on it. Uh, congratulations on getting close to... Uh, 
finishing uh, the uh, second book and uh, continued you. success there. All right, folks, let's get to what we are, uh, what we we said we were mainly going to do in this episode. I'm ready for it. Let's uh, let's warm up by listening to this movie that is a Warner Brothers picture uh, released uh, earlier this year uh, in theaters nationwide. Here is the trailer for Ready Player One. My name's Wade Watts. My dad picked that name because it sounded like a superhero's alter ego like Peter Parker or Bruce Banner. But he died when I was a kid, my mom too. And I ended up here. Sitting here in my tiny corner of nowhere. There's nowhere left to go. Nowhere. Except the Oasis. A whole virtual universe. People come to the Oasis for all the things they can do. But they stay because of all the things they can be. Can you feel this? Um, yeah. It's the only place that feels like I mean anything. Oasis was the brainchild of James Halliday. Hello, if you're watching this, I'm dead. I created a hidden object, an Easter egg. The first person to find the egg will inherit half a trillion dollars and total control of the Oasis itself. Who is this Parzival? And how the hell is he winning? Find him. This isn't just a game. I'm talking about actual life and death stuff. The Oasis. The world's most important economic resource. And it's nothing less than a war. We're in control of the future. Welcome to the Rebellion. All right, we'll cut it there. Sorry, my mic was off. Um, <clears throat> so... Pretty pretty intense. Um, well, I'll throw it to I'll throw it to you, Todd, to kind of give a little bit of the uh, I forget the buzzword we were going to use uh, the uh, the hard facts, production facts, production facts on this film. So go ahead. So basically, it's based on a book by Ernest Klein from Honest, uh, Austin, Texas. The interesting parts of this it's it's directed by Steven Spielberg. I think we all know that, and it begs for somebody like a Spielberg. However, this book is a bit, I'm sorry, this film is a bit divergent from what he usually does because it, it, it marks a separation for him in a key category being soundtrack. It's the first time since 1985's The Color Purple that John Williams has not done the music for it. Um, when you talk about true partnerships, symbiotic par partnerships, you only have to look to Spielberg and, and Williams. You go back to Jaws and you, you, you have to look at that film and the production problems he had and how John Williams was able to create a score which created the menace of a shark we never see until the final third of the film. These two worked together nonstop. The only other film that they had not worked on was the first major film for Spielberg, 1971's TV film called Duel. So Alan Silvestri takes over on this. Now Alan, Alan Silvestri is very famous for having worked with Robert Zemeckis, who is a protege of Spielberg. So these people know each other. They just hadn't worked together. But Silvestri has done the scores for Back to the Future, uh, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, 
on and on. You, you can go from there. I mean, it is just, it's a laundry list stating right. back to television work in the early, uh, and the early seventies to present day. Okay. We have the mark of Spielberg working with Giannis Kaminsky, who is his frequent collaborator at cinematographer. They've been working together since 1993's Schindler's List. Kaminsky is a very decorated, very, very good director of photography. I, I can't overstate that. And it, and it, the reason I bring that up is it's odd to have someone of that caliber in a film like this for reasons that we'll get into at a later point. Um, the, I, I, you know, other than that, you've got regular producing partners. You have Michael Kahn, who has basically edited every Spielberg film since Close Encounters of the Third Kind. So you look and you see a lot of these things. It's like Spielberg keeps these people together. But why do I say that? because he was creating this film at the same time he was posting, in other words, completing the film called The Post about the Washington Post, uh, stepping into the McNamara ah. files and whatnot. He will often do this. He'll, he made Jurassic Park at the same time he was creating Schindler's List. He'll work on two films at once. So just it finally caught up with him that he couldn't bring along, along one of his frequent collaborators. That those would, are the production facts I at least wanted to state at the very very top. Those two movies would be, would have been bad to mix up, right? Schindler's List and Jurassic Park, if you yeah, forget I, which one you're editing. You know, the, here Schindler's List is so haunting. I can only imagine that if it, that point where the little girl is screaming at the Jewish people, throwing <laughs> mud at them, if a, tra a Tyrannosaurus Rex just came and ate her. Right? You know, you might have elicited cheers, and I don't think that's what he wanted at that point. <laughs> right, right. Okay, that's a, that's a good rundown. Um, let's talk about where you saw it, who saw it with. Uh, I saw it in a, a theater just down the road called The Legacy. I took my father, my 82-year-old father, and my 14-year-old nephew. Oh. Uh, and so, you know, it's one of those, my dad raised me. I've said this before on the show. My dad raised me like a lot of dads raise their sons on baseball. My dad raised me on movies. And we right. would go, we'd talk about the stats. That's why I, this is an obsession of mine. My nephew, uh, his sister's uh, my sister's his mother and she's done that for him but at the same time we kind of want to pull him along and he loves movies i will i will throw this out every movie i take him to he'll turn to me and go uncle todd that was the greatest movie i ever saw <laughs> well, at least you're batting a thousand i am i'm like the cool uncle for that reason i'm surprised that your dad wanted to go see this being that he was so anti um get out well so he went because it was time spent with his son and with oh. his grandson. That Got was it. really it. And, it. I, and I pretty much told my dad, you know, look, I'll go see fine films with you. We can't take a 14-year-old to see something a little harder hitting. We got we to speak to his level. Right. Okay. Um, any, anything else that struck you before the movie beginning? No. I, okay. You know, I, I went in. I, I anytime I go and, and I read a book and I see a film, I usually try to lower expectations because it's not the same <laughs> thing. It can't, it cannot be the same thing. People right. that get into the, well, the book's better. You know what? The book's better because it's a book. The film's better because it's a film. It's they're two different mediums. And that's what I'll say as far right. as what my thoughts before. And I want to, I want to, we'll cross that bridge uh, in more right. depth here in a minute. I, <clears throat> I was in San Diego when I saw it, I saw it at a theater called the lot uh, I can't tell you what part of San Diego that is. I don't think it's actually even San Diego proper. I believe it is a suburb of San Diego. Uh, I can tell you it went to the 9.45 a.m. showing. I can wow. tell you that my Lyft driver got really lost getting there, and I was a little panicked about missing it. But got there in time. It actually was a, It's an old military uh, building. Uh, where they had the theater, and now they've they've turned it into uh, a movie theater. So um, 
Aesthetically, it was very pleasing to be there. Um, my ticket was $17 for a 9.45 a.m. movie. Good which, God. <laughs> which shocked me. That's why I haven't eaten in a week. Um, I did get a medium Dr. Pepper and some <laughs> nachos, which were also $17. So, Note to self, take <laughs> note of what food and drink you get at the movies from now on. I, you're, you're amazing. <laughs> well, I was more shocked at the fact that it was cost as much to get into the movies as it was to get a, yeah, no a, doubt. a soda and um, nachos. Um, so I went in. I sat down. It was an assigned seat um, movie. Um Got in, and there was audio playing, um, but no picture on the screen. Mm. Uh, so the projector wasn't working. They were working on it, trying to do all that stuff. I tweeted a few things about that. And then I got to sit in for what felt, and I did not time, but I kind of did a quick calculation in my head later, for about 35, 40 minutes worth of previews. And God. this is getting out of control. This is starting to ruin the going to the movie experience for me. Um, now, in some of the theaters where you have assigned seating, I, I'm, I'm sure there are the listeners out there that are saying, well, just go later. But Todd and I grew up in an age where part of getting into the movie ambiance was going and getting your popcorn or whatever and then sitting down and you know sitting in that really cool environment where the lights were a little bit dimmer and there was probably usually some some heavy curtains that were on the wall and you just kind of look around and you're just anticipating uh, the beginning of the movie, the enjoyment process. And with 30 minutes, 30 to 40 minutes worth of, of previews, it's beginning to eat in it. And that could also be old man kicking in. That could be old man factor. But uh, have you noticed that? Yeah, I, I've gotten I've gotten to the same way, Jeff. And, and I think what I hate about it is that I think that trailers are ruining the movie business in a couple of ways, the way you stated, as well as we now have four and five trailers that basically when you add them together, give away upwards of 10 minutes of the film. Yes. You're giving away approximately, you know, one twelfth of the film. I don't want to see that. I, I want you to tease me. I want you to excite me. And that isn't a hummus and carrot joke, <laughs> but I, I I, there is something that they're taking out of the pureness of seeing a film for the first time. Um, right. And what I hate is that I find myself now, if I want to see a trailer, I watch it on my computer, which is not the way that I want to see it. So that idea that I have to give up 35 minutes to go through trailers and let's be honest, 50% of them, I couldn't give a crap about. Exactly. So yeah, it, it's, it's tainting it for me too. I, I was, can't lie. I was also annoyed a little bit by the context um, I'm going to see Ready Player One. Now, um, I should know this as we are reviewing this movie, but as I'm <laughs> uh, not a professional, I don't know what the rating was. Was it was it a PG-13 movie? I believe it was. Okay. I, I'm trying to scroll to that information, but I am 99% sure that, yes, that's correct. So PG-13, but the majority of the, um, the uh, previews were um, the second... Uh, animated movie about the family that's full of and the Incredibles 2 yes. was a trailer. Uh, then some really stupid puppy kind of movie with another animation. So, I mean, Ready Player One for me, and we're going to get into the real meat of this in a minute. Um, I, I, I didn't like that there was any context. If, if you're if you're going to if I'm going to see that movie and it would seem simple to me. Right. But I don't do it for a living. So obviously it's easy to just, you know, armchair quarterback it. Um, 
it would be any movies that maybe take place in the 80s that are coming out. Mm-hmm. Um, any video game movies that are coming out. We did have the usual Avengers and everything, and that's fine. I mean, I, I get that. But it was just almost too much of a, um, uh, you know, pulling the, the needle off the record for me to be pumped about seeing this movie and then watching, you know, Paw Pals on their adventure land and Cotton Candy <laughs> Riverland or whatever it was. And I'm just like, well, this is, I have zero interest. So I felt myself... And I think you have you've 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 used words that have helped me create this picture. Um, I was constantly having to reset. And for those kind listeners out there, a reset is you're listening to the other kind radio with Todd and Jeff. We're going to review Ready Player One. So you're constantly having to remind yourself, okay, what what movie? I'm oh, it's just I'm see Ready Player One. Okay, yeah, cool. So um, and I, that's that's disrupting too. Now to everybody else that was munching down on popcorn very loudly, had a couple alligator uh, chewers <laughs> around me. They did not seem bothered. So I'll say 25% of it's just old man, old man, Jeff um, going to the movies. Wow. I, you know, in a way I kind of want to sit by old man, Jeff, you <laughs> might be the exact kind of person I want. You don't munch on your popcorn, no. which I'm going to quickly aside and say, I saw a quiet place and there's no film in the world that will convince you not to munch on your popcorn, like a quiet place. That's the tease I'm going to put out. Go see that movie. Oh yes. But, yes. But there's so many things that I agree with, you know, between now they also, uh, every theater here, Jeff, I don't know in your part of the world if they're doing this as much but now that the seats all are these movie theater seats yeah. with the recline yeah so now every person that goes by you have to reset your seat <laughs> and me, you deal sir. with that you deal with people talking you people bringing their cell phone on it's just yes yes the movies cell phone. are it's maybe that's something we talk about one day how the movies are being tainted by all of this we we will we we will uh we'll we'll uh Sidebar that or pocket it or whatever the uh, park right. it, whatever the buzzword is. Yes, because I had I had angry older couple behind me arguing about where their keys were. Okay. And uh, that also was a distraction. OK, and I am going to sidebar real quick here because I have a question. I know you said I need to see it's silent and lonely. What what was the name of that one? Get the out of quiet place. The quiet place. The quiet place. A quiet place. A quiet place. <laughs> um. Okay, I want to see it, but it looks scary, and I don't do well in scary movies. So it, it is scary, it, and you know, and I won't say it's scary, but it is very ominous. It has some definite starts, but the, uh, startles is what I really should say. Um, the thing that I love about it, and I do love scary movies. <sighs> the thing I love in a good horror film is a good horror film is not about the thing attacking you. It has another, the story has another purpose. That's why Get Out works. Get okay. Out is not about white people hypnotizing people. And I'm sorry if that's a spoiler. You've had a year to see it. I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, it's about a deeper issue. This one has a deeper issue. And when it got to it, it, it all I'm going to say is, and I've never hidden this, I wept in the, in the movie. So a horror film that makes you weep. Wow. And you won't want to make a noise. That's what I promise you. Okay, but okay, so give me give me some give me some uh, comparison here. Is it is it Get Out scary? Is it it's I haven't even seen it because I'm I'm scared that it's scary. But I heard that's well done too. That's very well done. It's a great adaptation of a portion of the novel It, which they're now going to make a sequel, which of tells course. the other portion of, of the course. novel. Of course, yes, because everything um, every book has to be three movies now. 
Yeah, but I'll, I'll grant it that that one, if you don't tell it essentially in two parts, okay. you'd be cramming a lot of a book into two, two and a half hours. So what uh, would you compare it to? Give me some perspective. That's real hard because it's rather unique. Shining scary? You know, it has similarities of The Shining because it's about, a, if you don't know the premise, it's about a family. Oh, boy. That has tried to survive in a future age when you get very little information on this, but something like aliens have landed on the planet. And the only way they attack you is if you make a sound. Wow. If you can stay quiet, you can stay safe. So imagine this, your parents, you have two children. Actually you have three children. I'm sorry. I said that wrong. You have three children and they're all of varying ages. I know this being a father of one child, trying to keep that one child quiet. That's impossible. So now you're trying to not only not make a sound yourself, so you got to take your shoes off to walk quietly. You can't step on a creaky board. You're also trying to keep that child from when their children want to play, they're going to make noises. So it's it. it and the, the beautiful thing of it, the first probably 40 minutes of the film is almost a silent film. And that, that gets into the whole concept no. of pure cinema where you're telling your story without dialogue. We know Todd likes that. I do. And it's, I, it, I sat there for that first 40 minutes, just riveted to the point that a little girl in front of me initially started rattling her candy. And that, that usually makes me mad. But what I meant within minutes, I went, Oh my God. And it, you know, you start thinking this filmmaker, John Kaminsky, who is of the office has created something that's stepping beyond the screen. It is now pervading into the thoughts within the immediate area. When you can do that, you've created something special because I started feeling that every time somebody make a sound, I was like startled by the sound. <laughs> so there was a little girl. What is it rated? Uh, well, that was the thing. I think it's probably a good, strong PG 13, if not an R. Um, my 15 year old, I want to take her to see it, but I wanted to see it first. And this yeah. kid was 10. And so she's going to have some lovely nightmares. Nice, nice, nice psychological damage. Uh -huh. And for those kind listeners that don't have kids, just, uh, and are friends with me, just imagine hanging around me and having me try to be quiet. Cause <laughs> I'd be like, are we supposed to be quiet? We're being quiet now. I mean, quiet, right? Okay. But you don't talk during the movie. I'm not going to say anything. No, I'm just talking about if we were in that universe where there were aliens, oh. I'd be the first person. <laughs> and our first victim is Jeff, who decided to tell a joke. He, he would write a note to tell everybody to be silent. And then the whole Re joke would be that he had like some Rube Goldberg device or, set up that just. Or I would write it and then I go, I have an announcement. <laughs> Everyone needs to be quiet because of. Uh, one other thing I want to touch on real quick, probably one of the best previews to any movie that I've ever seen in my entire life that gave away nothing from the film was The Shining. I kind of remember that. That Didn't was when they had the elevator doors open. Doors open yeah. Um, because it, and I was young at the time, because uh, that came out in the late 70s, early 80s, I think. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it, it terrified me. And that's what scares me about those movies and what you're talking about, uh, A Quiet Place is that's that gave me nightmares and my parents are like it's an elevator it's not blood it's water blah 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 but i'm like but why because there was no reason <laughs> behind it they're like look it's just a but why it's like you know what just get in this elevator and let's go for a ride and i'm like no <laughs> and then you start looking around the elevator and exactly. you see a little bit of dripping something and you know it's blood scared the bejesus out of me all right Let's get in. Let's get into the review. Thank you for for all that information. And folks, we're going to try and condense this. We're going to try to stay at least a little bit um, within the outline. So we're going to talk about 
Um, the the storyline, we're going to give some reviews on technical acting. Uh, I have it labeled as wild card and anything else that kind of came out and hit us. And then just kind of give our overall summation. Um, I do think it important to mention, Todd, you actually physically read the book, right? Yes, I did. Okay, so I listened to the book on Audible. And I recommend anybody that wants to listen to the book. It's read by Will Wheaton. Really? Yes. And he does a phenomenal job. So, you know, first thing, know a little bit about the book. Super excited. Number two, find out he's reading it. Uber excited because, I mean, it's Will Wheaton, you know? So, with all that being said, please, Todd, give us the story of Ready Player One. The, the story, I'm going to try and boil this down for, just to be succinct. If, if you saw the previews, you can almost latch on to what the story is. The previews actually took parts of the song Pure Imagination from Willy Wonka. The whole, if you want to view paradise, simply round around and view it. They use that. The reason they use it is because this is in a future dystopian day when the people actually live in piled up trailers, one atop of each other called the stacks. And they are all submerged within a virtual reality. The man who creates that virtuality dies and simply says, I've created a game. The, if you find these items, you will not only get all this money, you will own the Oasis, which is the virtual reality world. That is the basic gist of the story. We have one character, Wade, who is our main character, who has an alternate real, uh, alternate reality personality called Parzival. The thing is all about him trying to win this and beat a corporation that wants to take control of it for greedy corporate reasons. I think that in a nutshell is pretty much it. It's Willy Wonka set in a virtual reality world. That's uh, that's really well said. I never uh, even noticed the Willy Wonka reference. So, oh, it's uh, there. And, it, and it partially that's one of my very favorite songs ever written. Uh, so much so that uh, there's a podcast that does the Willy Wonka Minute. And you know I do the Minute <laughs> of the Apes. Yeah. They've actually asked me to come on when they do... <sighs> Uh, pure imagination and talk ah. about it because i love that song so the moment first moment i heard it i heard the bottom yep, and i was yep, like yep, oh yep. my god there it is so yes that is the storyline um and then you know so again you're right i should have i made i made a big huge mistake i went in with with have listening to the book mm-hmm. with not doing the smart thing and and downplaying or limiting my expectations. Um, there were so many things in the book that r- made it worth the experience. And it's not necessarily um, just because I got to imagine it, right? Because a lot of people had problems right. with Fifty Shades of Grey because, you know, then who do you cast? Well, you know, I don't know if it's millions, but a lot of women and men had read that book and had a mental image of what their whatever his face was. And then they cast the guy, and then all you hear is, oh, that's awful. You know, he doesn't look anything like that. So there's there's that one perspective of, of, of reading a book and then watching the movies. It me- it, your, your mental image of, of, of characters and everything can be different than what is placed on the screen. Then there's the actual storyline. And I have to tell you, Todd, I was lost for the first 25 to 30 minutes of this, of this movie. And that may have overshadowed my enjoyment of it because 
I was literally sitting there going, what the blank is going on? What movie is this? Because not only did they change some things, they were like Mike Tyson in his prime. They came out and just blew a ton of stuff out of the water. And that angered me a little bit. Um, Mainly because... I thought the book did a really good job of not only going to how well you explained about what kind of environment everybody's go, you know living in and in the virtual reality, but it tied in the main characters, the facts that he was he was in school, and he was attending get back you know in that time you attend school virtually. Uh, it also set up a good uh, uh, a good base for that. Uh, people had been, and they do mention this in the movie that people have been trying for years and years to try and solve this, but nobody had, but it's all based on clues. And so, you know, the great thing about the book was, you know, there are three keys that are used to, to, to locate this prize and each key has a written clue. And so part of that was kind of fun in that those clues were based on, um, you know, the gaming world, the movie world, right? This main character that had created the Oasis was like a huge 80s fan, a huge film geek, and a huge game geek. So three things that, you know, you and I <laughs> enjoy spending time talking about. So all of the clues were kind of based off of that. So it was kind of fun to watch the char- character uh, make progress and, and and solve these puzzles um, to, you know, reach each uh, key, if you will, uh, to get to the final, um, the final, uh, goal. And we'll, we'll say right here, we're going to get into some specifics. So if you haven't seen the movie, please pause, stop the podcast, go see it and then come back. Um, so with that, the first challenge, why don't you say what happened in the movie and I'll cover what happened in the book. So, and, and and I'm going to give this quick aside to this, you know, the, sure, sure. This that didn't jar me as much as it did you because and I think this is this is not a conceit. This is just a fact. I often go into an adaptation of a, a from a book to a movie thinking they're going to have to condense a lot of this. What are they going to do? And so I didn't find myself lost. I found myself incredibly surprised because I, what I did miss was exactly what you said. The school. Yeah. Um, the fact that he was not in school was was very jarring to me. It almost made it that these people only concentrated on the Oasis. So when we come to what your question was, which was what was the first challenge, I literally, because it changes from the book, <laughs> I didn't understand the challenge. I was like, okay, it's a race. Yeah. Um, they race through everything. And, you know, Spielberg directs action as good as, if not better than just about anybody that's ever been in cinema he's one of the greats at it he understands the staging he understands how to create stakes for the character i didn't understand what the goal of the damn race was until finally when they start showing you know basically you have to race through these city streets weird things come along um things are blowing up things this big pendulum thing swims down at you and then all of a sudden there's king kong and we're told by wade that no one gets past king kong and i'm like okay where do they want to go I right. kept thinking, I was like, where do they want to go? And finally, you see off in the distance a little bit of a gateway that's there. And that was my problem. The race is exciting, but I also equate it to another number of films that just don't have any resonance because I don't understand the stakes. You have To understand right. the drama in Jaws, you have to know the sharks in the water. Right. I didn't understand where they were going, why they were going. I knew they wanted to win. 
and that's so it's confusing. So why don't you go ahead and tell what it is in the book? So in the book, um, and this is one of the things that I like. But you're going to have to help me out with this uh, director because it's failing me right now. But um, I likened it to um, Breakfast Club. Uh, John Hughes. John Hughes. So it had a very John Hughes uh, feel, mm-hmm. and in the book, John Hughes is a big factor in some of the other areas um, uh, that the book plays out. So, uh, you know, it, it, again, it gave me the feeling of, you know, the kid's trying to go to school, you know, he doesn't have any money. He spends all of his free time, you know, in this virtual world, just like everybody else. And that, um, he is a huge fan of the guy that created it. And he has this book that he carries around with all of his notes about that, that gentleman, I can't remember his name. Um, and so it builds that he actually, you know, this is something he's, he's invested in school. He'll do whatever he can to get past it, but this is where his true interest and passion lies. And so, um, without reading the clues and all of that stuff, basically he determines that, that, that uh, and each in the book does a good job of showing up that, that like each one of these virtual worlds there is, and they did a good job with the movie. There are other worlds within the, the huge, uh, uh, oh God, the, uh, Oasis. So there's all kinds of stuff. There's worlds that are, you know, like Dungeons and Dragons, there's future worlds. There's all this stuff where you can go play these games, worlds where you go gamble and everything. So anyway, he finds out that and through the progress of his research with the guy that created the Oasis, that there's a place he should go. And when he gets there, he realizes that the first challenge is one of the, uh, uh, first, um, uh, Dungeons and Dragons uh, games. So Dungeons and Dragons, you know, that was uh, back in the day before we had all the uh, consoles and everything where basically you had a group of people that would get together, uh, create characters. There would be a dungeon man, uh, master that would kind of talk to you through uh, the narrator, if you will, of the story. And then players would fight monsters and stuff like that. So the first challenge in the book, he has to he has to remember one of the first modules for, for D&D and get his character through the dungeon to the main boss, if you will. And it turns out that to get the first key, you have to beat this uh, creature in a game of Joust. So, again, I grew up in the time period. I remember playing Joust, the video game in the arcade. Um, So right there, rich, full of context with memories of playing D&D, memories of of, uh, playing Joust, and a unique situation where he isn't just walking into a room and battling this huge creature. He's having to test his wits uh, at a particular game. And all that right there, and, and, and we can get into a little bit of discussion, but why, why throw all of that out? And I guess it's just, you know, we're in a society now where we got to go to a car chase immediately. Would it be I that it, difficult? I think it lies deeper in the simple structure of what, the film language almost is. And there's a lot of argument on this, but there's also a lot of fact to it that films are usually in the approximate 120 minute mark, two hours. Yeah. Every 30 minutes, you have to have a plot point. In other words, something occurs to push it forward. What I, what I think in this, and, and it's funny when you mentioned the John Hughes correlation to the school stuff, obviously the John Hughes references are in the book for whatever reason, I didn't immediately tap into the John Hughes link to the, even the style of the schoolwork right. is an eighties reference. And I, when you said that great point, I think what you have to do is you have to immediately say, we have 30 minutes to introduce Wade right. until we get him to winning the first challenge. 
that right. is your that is your challenge as a filmmaker. You have 30 minutes. People expect because the story is about this whole puzzle, this whole winning the thing. Right. It's not about building the world. You build your world in 30 minutes. You set up the stakes. Bam. So I think that a car race is something that I can put in and roughly approximately one to two scenes. And it occurs at that 30 minute mark. I don't. And I agree with you. I like the Dungeons and Dragons stuff. I love the Joust stuff. I don't know how cinematic playing a game of Joust is. I, I really don't know if that would work. I'm sure right. somebody like Spielberg can figure it out. Yeah. I don't know if some of these changes occur because they couldn't get the rights to things or maybe the rights were lost somewhere. Ooh. I don't know what it is. But for whatever reason, they do concentrate on the race. And I think it's because for the economy of time, we need to let him win the first challenge. So we can set up the rest of the movie, which is everybody then clamoring to get where he is to right. follow him so they can get to the next challenge. Cause he's already on his way. Right. Um, very well said. And you've restored my faith a little bit in it, but uh, you know, for me, and again, I'm, I'm the, I'm the armchair quarterback. I'm going to make another point as we progress a little bit in the story where they did keep something very close to the book, which is basically watching somebody play an Atari 2600. So how exciting is that? And why do you need to throw out? First of all, why did you throw out the puzzle part? Because the puzzle part is part of the enjoyment for people that are in that um, age group or grew up playing these these games and stuff because that's kind of what it's built onto. And then um, it just seemed to me very selective and random as to what they decided. Well, we can't get the rights to joust or we can't do this or we can't do that. So here's what we're going to do to where some other decisions were made and I was just like, well, that doesn't make any sense. So, um, but I, I think it's also that you do have what you said, you have that Atari challenge. Yeah. And do you really want to have in your movie two times where you watch people play video games? See, there you go. And that's why you've, you've studied film <laughs> and I just get to get angry about stuff and, and, and not really have a good, a good reason for it. But that, that well, that's and, a valid, you, very valid I'm, point. Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I was just saying that's a very valid point. And and you can correct me here if I'm wrong, but the thing that I found myself missing, and I think it's after the first challenge, I think it is, and I it, I read the book so long ago that I'm not entirely certain I'm right, but after the first challenge, he's Wade is forced to actually go to Halliday's used home and investigate something w- about his past. Yes. He then goes, and, and if you don't mind if I even lead in the book, that leads us to the second challenge. Is yes. that correct? Yes. And... I, the thing that I missed, and we do get a little bit of the Halliday youth home at the end of the movie. So they, and and that's usually mm. a skillful way of any screenwriter to say, I can't put it here. It doesn't mm. work here, but I can acknowledge it here. I missed it at that point because that yeah. was one of my favorite parts of it was whenever yeah. it was almost like following this man, because the, the crux of the story is that you learn through Halliday, the man who created the OSS, through his own stumbles, you learn about life. Yes. And when we don't acknowledge him as a, as a, uh, a, a, a removed child, when we don't acknowledge him at the start of it, 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 it rang a little hollow at the end for me that we're only then seeing him as a child. So I found those times just like you, Jeff, where I missed it, where I was like, God, that's what I want right here. Do it. But I, I can't entirely explain why they didn't do it that way. Right. I mean, just to touch on a few things. So, so in the movie, he goes to this central hall and there's this this uh, butler kind of dude that shows him around and you can go and watch all of the video clips that involve holiday. So it's like a giant instead of having his notebook, he goes to that place to get all of his stuff 
uh, about Holiday, and he figures out the first puzzle by playing it backwards and realizing, oh, he's got to you know keep the car in reverse to win the race. Um, by not having it in his notebook, I think that changed it a lot as well. The <clears> other <throat> thing is. Once he gets that first key and there's that leaderboard, he has to start working on, on hiding his identity because there's all these other factions and groups and people that want to uh, start to hire him or, or, or sponsor him so you know they can benefit from it. One thing that bothered me is that he got the fancy suit too quick. One thing I liked about the book was he was using ragmatag kind of technology, older stuff because he couldn't afford anything. And then all of a sudden in the movie, without really getting into too much, now he can just buy it and get all this stuff where in the book he actually earns some of those through side quests and stuff. One of them being the coin. Uh, the coin he got uh, in the book from playing a perfect game of Pac-Man. In the movie, it was just kind of given to him by the butler dude. And so, which is which for the economy of storytelling, I do agree with. You don't have the time to once again go watch him play something, which in the book is very fun for those of us who grew up in that era. But you can't stop a film down to say, "Hey, let's play Miss Pac-Man," and they're all like, "Oh crap, we're playing a video game again." You have to have every experience in a movie has to either be unique or build upon the uniqueness of the previous one. And to put another video game in here. It, you would have killed the moment of the story. Right. I just think there was maybe some other way that it could have been written in where he earned the coin. Right. So I agree with you. The, 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 you don't want to watch people play video games, but uh, the fact is he earned it. And then when it's, when it does what it does later in the film, it's even better because it was something he had, a had earned rather than just, you know, that's and I guess like he did bet the Butler. So I guess that's kind of earning it. Um, Let's see. Uh, the other thing, the other big thing changed was the love interest. Um, I really liked in the book that for a long time he's um, by himself and, and there's other these other major um, uh, players that are getting keys and stuff. And there's a little initial relationship and interaction between him and the love interest. And then they, you know, they're competitors. They're both trying to do this. Um, they took the time to get into the whole argument about what uh, he was going to do with the money versus what she would do very early, which I thought that was kind of a stop down. But um, so in the movie, they meet and have a relationship for much longer in the movie. I get it. I get it. But in the book, one of the nice thing was is you do feel a little bit of the sense of urgency and being alone and against all odds when, you know, he doesn't get involved with those other players until later. I thought they kind of meshed that all together pretty quick. But again, I, I, I get why. Interested to hear your thoughts. Uh, it, I think it's nothing more than escalation. You, yeah. you once again, it, it, a, a pop song is three minutes long. You have, you have verses, you have choruses, you have bridges. You can have uh, relative minor movements, so it evokes different things. The reason I say all that is that it's a formula people that are art artists don't like to hear that but this is publicly consumed storytelling and there is a formula to it you can have people that break it like tarantino will will slightly break it but you have to have an escalation and i i don't agree with them the way that they escalated in this and i, I tend to agree with you i felt that the love interest was rushed i love olivia cook who plays yeah the love interest she was on bates motel and i even thought at that time i thought wow she's a standout she's first off she's one of those adorable people that the camera loves yeah. immediately sees her and she just lights up the camera she's a great actress too and i feel that by rushing them together uh, they also introduce a rebellion that while there are hints to it could occur in the book is not really a part of the book right and i feel that it diminishes what their relationship means together because she's she's 
basically a huge part of this. And it's like, wait, where's this from? This isn't what this is about. Right. Because again, the book is about looking at Halliday and where he lost his, his what he really wanted yes. in life. He has this great thing he created. He is a Steve Jobs, Bill Gates, whatever, you know, massive mogul of information and technology you can think of. He is that person, but he didn't have one thing in his life. And they don't illustrate it. They they take time to create this rebellion when, to me, they're taking away from the story because one character we've not mentioned at this point that's a great part of the book is Ogden Morrow, who is the partner of Halliday. Right. And they split at some point in, in the story. The reason for that split is a huge part of what they're trying to say about life's experience. And they all but ignore it until the end of the film if there is one thing, the pop culture references, the changes, you know, I sat there and I was like, whatever, but to take away this, yeah, it's not prevalent. It's mentioned and anybody can come fight with me and I'll fight with you right back that it's mentioned, but it's not, it doesn't have the same resonance it has in the book. It's not developed. Yeah. 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 All right. Well, the interest of time, cause we're, we are coming up on an hour. So uh, the kind listener will, will, will start to go through just a few other things. So I, I just do want to, since we're kind of covering the story, um, so the first key was the race versus the joust uh, in the cave. Uh, the second in the book is Zork, which is anybody that's played games or been alive as long as Todd and I. Zork was, you know, it's a, it's a text-based game where you had to read everything and then type in commands and uh, all of that. And then in the movie... It takes place in the Shining Hotel, and I want to know what you thought when that when that shot panned out, and you realized they were uh, going there. So, what it immediately evoked to me is that again, I don't think while I know Zork, I don't think Zork is very riveting right. for a film. I think that they also use war games in the book. Yes, and I loved that part of the book, but immediately when they went for The Shining, I thought, well, I I can see why because as much as I love war games, The Shining is a much more prevalently known film within the pop culture zeitgeist than war games. So it's immediately accessible. It also has the benefit of scary images. It's also slightly humorous when we see our heroes walk into the uh, Overlook Hotel, and we know where they're going. Uh, so even Jeff, you know, tied together what you talk about with movie trailers, we have the image of the blood coming out of the elevators. Yeah. It plays nicely. And I think cinematically it perhaps plays more. I don't know if this was a rights issue or simply Spielberg turning to Ernest Klein going, I dig what you did here. I think cinematically it works better to be the shining. Right. So it was one of those, it's a change to me, but it, to me, it still keeps the tone of it, which is they had to know it. They had to understand the parts of it. It, it, it doesn't quite have that. He understood every line of dialogue from war games. They don't do that, but they understood the film. They understood what they were up against. Right. And then they turn how to get past that key by jumping on top of zombies to get to the love interest of the guy that created the Oasis. And then you get a key. Uh, I, I'm, I'm hearing what you're saying. I'm hearing and I'm understanding and I'm not even really arguing, but man, it seemed like a huge setup for, you know, Oh, yay. We, we danced with her. So now we get a key. I thought yeah. it was a lot of buildup and the payoff was, um, you I mean, they come up with, you know, all these different <laughs> creative things to do. And I thought maybe that was maybe just an off day. Well, it's a ham-fisted way to introduce the past love interest of Halliday, which is what I was trying to refer to with right. Tomorrow. They, it, it's so shoved into your face that it doesn't have sweet resonance. You know, right. love stories, to me, the best ones are the ones where it's subtlety and understated. Right. 
because so many times in our own lives, we, we, the things that we think about and love are the things we didn't get to say. Right. And instead it becomes you, to, to me, you ruin this whole idea that he didn't get to dance with her because what you said, it becomes a video game of j- jumping on zombies, which I also thought, I don't remember this part from the shining. <laughs> right. And that re- that bothered me. I thought, okay, you're going to reference every part of it to the point you've recreated down to the, I mean, they, they even got the tones of the, the colors and the, the color saturations and the shots. Yes. Perfect. Yes. And yes. then they introduced dancing zombies. <laughs> it was crap. <laughs> All right, and then we get to the the final challenge and in the close of the movie, um, um, the final ba- battle was changed a bit. But I understand that you know in a book it's much harder to to write a scene than than to do what he did. So I, I don't have any major issues there. Um, but um, basically, the last key is the uh, playing adventure, the original, or uh, uh, one of the. Oh, is the, it's the first game that ever actually had an Easter egg in it, and that's true. Um, and they get their opportunity to uh, to go in and and um, you know get the final key and then uh, get the um, the Easter egg. Um, the one thing that, and again, I'm, I'm, I'm now I'm getting a little acclimated to this, this, uh, this, this flavor of, of film that's being thrown at me. So I'm a little more forgiving at this time. Um, but they threw in the tests, um, where he says, I need you to sign this paperwork, you know, and that's very, 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 very Willy Wonka. So, mm-hmm. you know, uh, basically the, the main character wins and then he's in this big glorious room and, you know, they're, you know, I can't remember his name. You know his name. The guy that created it. Uh, Halliday. Halliday's there with his avatar and, you know, he's like, hey, you know, you won. I need you to sign this paperwork. And then the main character has a realization that that would be selling out or something like that. And then basically Halliday's like, ah, that was a test you passed. That was not in the book. And I thought a little unnecessary as well. Yeah, one of the knocks on Spielberg often is that he has this habit of putting unnecessary last elements in his film. The example, I'll give two examples, the end of Schindler's List, not not the beautiful thing where he actually brings back the survivors of, of the Holocaust that Schindler helped to save, but there's a scene where Oscar Schindler comes along and starts peeling off buttons off his chest or rings, I could have sold this and I could have saved one more. That's not known to happen. And if you remove that scene, it doesn't change the resonance of the film. Right. Lincoln also had this, you could have ended Lincoln with, uh, there's a final shot of him walking down a hall and we know that he is going to Ford's theater where he will be assassinated that night. You could have simply lingered on that shot, cut the film and it resonates. But instead he goes to a replay of his inauguration where he gives a speech and it's like, you don't need it. And so he's known to do that. And and immediately when I saw that, I thought, Oh God, here's another one. They're going to tear him apart for. Right. And and if you don't mind, I'm going to interject something too. I actually, the one, the one change Jeff that is horrifically wrong in my opinion is the end of the film while Wade is trying <laughs> to win the whole challenge, we now introduce that he and his friends, who uh, one is an African-American woman who has been parading as a, a man, and it's not, it's not quite that way. She, her avatar in, in the OS is, is a man, but that's his best friend. Um, it's a couple of other kids that are Asian kids. He knows they are suddenly in a van that's running away 
from the bad guys. Now, the cool thing about the bad guys is their their logo is an I, an O, and an I, which if you look at it, looks like a TIE fighter from Star Wars. Yep. And or I, I, love, I love that, and they do a great job of making sure that you see that. Now, in the book, Ogden Morrow, who is the partner of Halliday, actually finds them and takes them in and protects yes. them so yes. they can battle. Now, I still don't understand why it had to be in a van running away with drones finding them. Why can't it be that he's hidden them and that people are closing in on the house? There's just as much. And what it does is you once again remove Ogden Morrow and his place and how he, yes. he's almost a challenge to the whole story. Yes. Because to understand him, to understand the woman he married and how Halliday felt about the woman he married, that is the story. And they, and when that was taken away, I thought, okay, that's a mistake. That was the one that actually took me out of the film. And I was like, that's crap. You are so good to mention that. Cause I don't even have, have that in my notes. And I think by that time in the movie, I was like, well, you, you've, you've already changed so much. Why not? But yes, you are 100% right. The, the, that's the part of the movie where their, their backs are against the, against the wall. They really don't have anywhere to go. Um, I believe one of the Asian um, yeah. uh, team had died. So there was really team. that. Yeah. And then all of a sudden at the last minute, hey, you know, they get this mysterious voice and come over here and then we'll get you together and we'll put you in some good quality uh, uh, Oasis gear and you can kick ass. Right. You're right. You're absolutely right. And then they're in a van uh, and, and down by the river and um, kind of doing that. So. I agree. And we get the we get the moment where Ogden Morrow shows up at the end. And he's like, "Hey, I've been watching you all along," and he's played <laughs> right. by the wonderful Simon Pegg, who I right. absolutely adore. But I'm at this point, other than Simon Pegg going, "I'm working with Spielberg," I also think, "Why the hell did you take this role?" <laughs> and and talk about just like showing up. I mean, when when he walks on onto the screen, I'm just like, "Why? Why even? Why?" Because then it's like you know, th there's no. At least in, in movies like The Hobbit or whatnot, where there's another force at, at work, right. there's something that gets knocked over. So you're like, what was that? What is that? You know, and in the book, they do a very good job of, of showing like there's something somebody's watching something. Um, and before there's a rule of storytelling, and I, I'm failing you by not remembering the name of it. And somebody can correct me and tell me on Twitter and I'll probably think of it later. But it is the idea that if you're going to have someone shoot someone with a gun at the end of the movie you have to show the gun at the beginning of the movie. You have to ah. announce that the gun is a viable threat Right. by having Octomoro show up. And he's not a threat, <laughs> but, but to have him be a savior, he is so little, so sparsely used and used incorrectly that right. when he shows up as a savior, it doesn't work. You're like, I think I've seen that guy in, in other movies. Yeah. Hey, that's Shaun of the Dead. What's he doing? Yeah. There? Oh, I like Shaun of the Dead. That's good. Maybe I'll watch that when I get home. You know that people watch this and thought, wait, who's he right exactly it, it's it's very poorly executed um all right so um yes so then everybody you know uh is happily married and gets together and then and then credits um my head is spinning so much at this point that um i am perturbed um but i'm trying to you know keep the journalistic side open and, and, you know, the critic side as far as that. So real quickly, let's roll through, um, what we like technically, if there are any outstanding stuff acting wise, and then if there's anything else we want to mention before we get to the, um, um, our overall opinion. Uh, so technically, obviously, I mean, we just w watched the Oscars and, and had movies like Blade Runner 2049 win, 
what was your take on on the the massive CGI use in this movie? There are two things with CGI. Number one, I wonder if this film can be nominated for best animated film because I I don't know what the rule is, and I know it's a, an animated film to be up for Oscar consideration. I don't believe it has to be one hundred percent animated. It can have the live action elements. That's why the Lego huh. film could be el- right. eligible. I don't know what that percentage is, but you when you look at this, it's got to be seventy percent animated. Yes. Um. That hit me, and then the other thing from a technical standpoint is Giannis Kaminsky, the the cinematographer I mentioned. I love him; he's wonderful. You go if you look at Schindler's List, there's no film more hauntingly shot. But I'm beginning to wonder, outside of shooting in black and white, if he has a color palette he wants to use besides gray. <laughs> right. Every and it's watching the post this morning. It's yeah. very gray, uh, and I get it that these people have something the way they see the world, and that's why they use them. I just in this, I thought. I don't know the way the way I envisioned the world, and I know it's a dystopian world. There are elements that talk about global warming and what it's done to the world, and I kind of envisioned a world that's burnt out more than one that's overcast all the time. Yeah. So, from a technical standpoint, those are the two things that really hit me. Uh, for me, I think it was uh, brilliantly done. When I wasn't so distracted that uh, when my brain was going, uh, that's not the way that happened. That's not the way that happened. That's not the, they they did not meet there. They did not go there. The whole shrinking of, 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 uh, motorcycles and fixing them. Um, it, it, it is a very beautiful, uh, movie. It is, um, uh, at times maybe a little too skittly for me, if I can make that term up lots of colors of the rainbow, but, uh, kudos to all the uh, men and women, um, and computers that, uh, you know, work so hard to make this happen. Um, that's pretty much all I have to say about technical acting. Um, I'll lead off on that one. Uh, you know, again, this is a this is a t- teenage angst fight fight the power kind of movie. So I'm not looking for anything close to uh, Platoon or Full Metal Jacket or anything on it. I thought the I thought the way the characters were written w- relied heavily on the relationships based and I'm talking about the book here early in the story. So I feel that the, while the acting, the actual effort by the actors were, was, was, was well executed and had heart and emotion. I blame editing and some of the changes they made in storytelling. As far as my ability as somebody that's watching it to relate and enjoy again, having read the book, what so much more these characters had to, um, offer you you know that's very well put because i was trying to find a way to interject in there to the point that i I can't disagree with any of it i think their individual efforts are fine they're all good actors um i i don't know that wade uh ty sheridan who i really only knew as the new cyclops in the x-men films i i don't know that he's the way that i pictured wade right but that is, as you said, when you get into these films, it's a very hard thing. And, and plus, we have to remember, they did work with Ernest Klein. Ernest Klein is credited with screenwriting on this, and he had some experience trying to be a screenwriter on his own. So to an extent, you know, Steven Spielberg, if he looks and let's say that Ernest Klein says, I want this kid, and it's like, no, I want the one that looks exactly opposite, then Steven Spielberg probably wins. Um, I, it, it, Other than that, I'm not going to to nitpick this Ben Mendelsohn who plays Sorrento, who is the bad guy. I think he's a fine actor. I personally love to see him in something other than the villain. 
Uh, Olivia Cook again is a standout for me. The one thing that I'm going to say, and this gets not into acting, but in the way they portrayed her in the the book, she has a significant birthmark on her face. In the film, they don't take away the birthmark, but it is so toned down <laughs> that it it looks more like she rubbed a little bit of rouge on her face. Right. And and I I thought, wow, that's because what one of the points of the book is that we don't see people in the virtual world and it, it's commenting on what we do now. We right. don't see each other and the, the, we envision people the way we want to envision them. And he tries to say, I don't see that about you. Well, when he says that to her, I don't see that birthmark. I thought, well, neither do I, it's barely there. Right. So there were some odd choices. You took away what made that character, that character. She had a little bit of a chip on her shoulder because she had existed her whole life with what she considered made her ugly. Right. And I thought I thought that was harmful to that character. That's a good observation, and and I agree one hundred percent. Because they were they were well written characters, and uh, yeah, when you kind of un, uh, undermine that or make make other decisions, maybe I want to keep it in a positive light. When you decide to go a different direction, then then some of that really gets um, gets rushed, and right. and the relationship isn't there. Um. Uh, so, you know, we're both favorable on the acting. I, 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 we don't have to keep calling this wild card. This is just kind of a, another category to kind of discuss anything that, that really, um, uh, stuck out in our minds. Um, and, and I will say it, mine was, um, <clears throat> when they went to the shining, it's one of my favorite movies. Of course, like Stanley Kubrick, uh, just brilliantly done. Also a, a movie that was, um, based on a Stephen King book and Stephen King was not very happy with the way they did it. But I understand at the time it was shot, some of the elements of special effects that they needed to represent the hotel, uh, were not possible, but having not read the book and have seen the movie, uh, it, it, um, uh, it definitely, uh, resonated in my mind for, for many years and, and remains at the top or the, uh, the upper portion of my list as far as good movies. Okay. So here's the conversation. We're not going to do the second uh, key challenge the way it was done in the book. So I'm pitching you on this. Why not? Why don't we go to the hotel, the Overlook, and we do this whole shining sequence? And you say, yeah, that sounds like a good idea. And then we get through all of that, and there's no, here's Johnny? I mean... Oh. They're constantly hitting every scene. And, and you talk about Easter eggs within Easter eggs within Easter eggs. You're not going to take... That's the quintessential scene in that movie. If you play that for 100 people... Well, I can't say that these days. But anyway, if you played it for, for 100 people, I would say that the majority at least would know what movie that came from. Or at least the actor that was in it. I'm wondering... Even, what, to, even to the point that I think that it it would be the single most well-known thing i think it might even supersede the the bloody elevators right yes and, that's and, odd i didn't even catch that that's a and great you catch. could play you could play off of one of the other characters and say here's you know archibald or whatever right. whatever the other characters names were and then there there would be those of us that would would, would not get it and then there'd be those audience members that would be like ah because that's to me that movie is seemed up is summed up excuse me in that scene seemed up I maybe agree. maybe that could be a new term because when Jack Nicholson's doing that, and it's the most terrifying moment in the movie, and he's crazy enough to reference the Tonight Show, it's genius. Yeah. Um, so very disappointed um, that they didn't take the uh, 
the opportunity to do that. And w- I know we spent a lot of time kind of being negative uh, about it, but I thought The Shining and I thought the use, of course, uh, growing up in the 80s, the music was also um, really well done in the sense that every new scene that used some of that, I thought it was, while it wasn't what was used in the, in the book, um, was used well and uh, always kind of reset me as far as feeling comfortable uh, and at ease uh, in the film. Uh, Todd, what wild cards do you have? You know, I'm going to I'm going to continue your conversation right there and say that the music was the most jarring thing to me because music was so essential to me growing up in the 80s that much of what they talked about and the types of music they talked about were not the types of music that were used in the film. And I don't have exact examples because I don't have the novel here with me. But I swear the only musical cue I remember is them using Van Halen. And other than that, I was kind of like, meh, this isn't what I expect. This isn't what I want. So I, I found the cultural relevance of the choices of music wrong. I thought that it's a hard film to digest when we get into the final battle because of the overwhelming amount of cultural crap that's thrown up there. Yeah. Now, the book does that. And I want to be fair. The book does that. But it's one of those that they keep saying, you're going to have to watch this 500 times. I'm like, well, thank you. I watched it once and I'm not sure I'm, I'll probably watch it again because I do watch <laughs> a lot of films twice. I don't know that I care. Right. And I, I found I, I found that they didn't have the reverence for these images that they should have had. We, we get the original race that we spent so much time talking about. I really felt that almost the only reason they wanted to do that was they needed to find a way to work in the Back to the Future car. Yep. It doesn't fit there. It's wrong. It's not for the books from. And I felt time and time again, The Shining works because it's an isolated thing. And I do think it works. I think your point about the Here's Johnny is perfect. I just think that so many times it feels like I've gone to a restaurant and they said, oh, mm. by the way, here, this one meal, mm. we use every spice in the cabinet on it. <laughs> and, and, and you go, all of them? <laughs> All of them. And then when you put it in your mouth, your mouth is, you don't know whether to spit, vomit, drink water, whatever, because it's so much that they don't, a film like this where you're doing cultural nods, you almost have to have a love affair with stopping every once in a while to say, look at that. You know, there should have been at least a few of those moments. It's just too much, too quick. You you just wrote my 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 final review and we'll move we'll move to that right now as far as just kind of our final score and and and, and when I did movie reviews in high school and wrote articles, I always would would I didn't have a star system I didn't have, uh you know uh, uh you know some type of number you know I'd give and and, and I'm gonna I'm gonna continue to do that because I think sometimes you know it's, well, uh, you know Jeff gave it seven spoons because I think in, in the end movies are made for the audience and Todd and I have taken the time to watch the movie and, and, and an hour and it would close to be an hour and a half of your time talking about it. Cause in the end we can only give you our perspective and, and how things hit us. And in the end of the day, if you go see this movie and you enjoy it, and this is something Todd and I are going to have on a future podcast. We're going to talk about some movies that maybe weren't uh, the highest rated or whatever that we enjoy. Then that's what's important. Cause the important thing is whether you, the kind listener go out and see this film and take away from it something that, that maybe Todd and I missed, or maybe maybe this will help, or maybe you went and watched, and this has explained a couple things for you. So for me, my final score is this. If, 
if you re- if you read or listen to the book before going, it's seeing the picture of a hamburger uh, on a menu, and then what you get from the counter. And you're like, but the picture looks so good. You got cheese dripping off there. You got you know hamburger. Yeah, this is this has pickles. And maybe some day old onions and the bun is mushed. And I mean, it's, it's kind of representative, but it wasn't what I was expecting going in. My second score is if you had not read the book or listened to the book. And if you, if you uh, had not, then it's like going to Friday's or a Chili's or a time machine. I think there's some place in Dallas called the, the wonderful time machine or something. Uh, restaurant that I lose Todd. No, I'm here. Oh. I didn't know. I didn't know where you were wanting me to comment. So I'll say the magic time machine, magic time machine. That was just, yeah. I am once again, a father and I know all the cutesy little restaurants. So if you want to go to a place and just be berated and hit over the head with every pop culture reference, every moons over my hammy, every, uh, you know, your waiters dressed up like Darth Vader, then go see this movie and enjoy yourself. Um, because I think in the end, the, the true intention from the director and, and writers and, and everybody else that worked really hard on it, the intention was to take this really creative, massively, uh, high referenced, uh, to the eighties culture based, uh, story and try and do it justice by putting it to film. And I think if you don't have the knowledge of the book, then, and you're, and you're ready to go to Fridays or Chili's or uh, Chuck E. Cheese and you know that the food is not going to be that fantastic, but there's going to be so much other shit going on that you don't care. Excuse my language. Then this this is a film for you. Uh, I'll, I'll turn it over to you, Todd. I, I'm going to do kind of the same thing. I'm I'm I you know I know that Jeff actually loves, especially emojis that are thumbs up. So <laughs> I'm not going to do thumbs up, thumbs down. <laughs> but I will say this: I I think that any any novel, any film, any song needs to know who it's speaking to. And it, this film did not speak to me correctly. I, I look at, you know, when I talk about the pop culture references, I think of a thing like uh, out, Stranger Things. I couldn't get the word out of my yes. mouth. Stranger Things does an amazing job of evoking that same period and having the cultural relevance and pointing out, here's Dig Dug, here's this song, here's that. That's the point that I can watch it with my child and go, yes, and to the point where she's falling in love with it. I don't know that she could watch this film and go and say, wow, was that what it was like when you grew up? She's not going to get that. However, I mentioned at the top of it, I took my teenage nephew and he does have a tendency to say this, the uncle Todd, this is my favorite film of all time, but I knew this film spoke to him. And I, at the end of it, I asked him, I said, so what did the film say to you? And you know, yes, the message of the film is every once in a while, step away from what you think is important and experience reality. Hmm. And he got it. He said, he, he kind of looked and, you know, very, very bashfully said that I should turn my phone off. And I said, that's exactly <laughs> it. So it's message worked. He'd never read the book. It worked. He got it. He had a great time. This is meant, this is not meant to be a film that changes the world from a perspective of let's have a conversation about the larger existence of man. Instead, what it's meant to be is a personal film, even though it's an action film, a personal film that says every once in a while, it isn't the drama. It's the reality of your relationships. And it spoke to a teenage kid. So it worked on that level. 
it did not work to my expectations. I had some fun with it. I'm not mad. I saw it. There are films that I've seen I'm mad about. I'm not mad. It just continuously, like I said, and to use your analogy, if, if, if I look at that hamburger <laughs> and I get this hamburger, yet whenever I pull back the bun, I now have everything on the menu under that bun. <laughs> that's what I felt this was. Well said. Well said. I think that's a good place to tie it up. Um, we, we were, we're in our, 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 uh, almost 90, 90th minute. So, um, uh, we may, we may cut this in half while I'll talk to Todd after, uh, once we're done here. Um, once again, want to thank everybody in, in closing here. Uh, thank everybody in San Diego for the wonderful support. As I told all of you, please, please feel free to email us info at the other kind radio info at the other kind radio. We're also on Twitter. Um, but feel free, uh, at any time to reach out to Todd and I. Uh, we're available on Stitcher. We're also available on iTunes, thanks to Todd's Hot Work. And a lot of people, you know, I will say real quick, I know we're trying to tie it up, that people were really impressed with that. And it does make it easier to get it out rather than going to a website. Oh, I can just go to my, because some people use the the uh, I, the podcasting uh, app on the iPhone. And so they went in and, and subcri- subscribed and are now following. So uh, as Todd said last week, if there's a new way that we can deliver our content, uh, feel free to let us know as we'll, we'll be open to do that. So thank you for all the support. I'm going to, I'm going to turn it over to Todd for the last word and we should be back within um, a week or so uh, with some new episodes and uh, keep this uh, momentum going. Todd, what, what you got for us? I, I'm going to say this. I've already told Jeff that the big thing that we're going to do, Jeff has the, tra- the the challenge of travel. And we, for our lovely, kind listeners, we are going to look at developing a set of episodes that don't so much center on this movie that came out here. We're going to talk about other aspects in pop culture and the things we want to talk about. So we are going to be very faithful to get these in your hands. We appreciate your support. We appreciate all of you being there with us. Now we're going to show you how much by getting those out to you. Well said, Todd. Once again, thanks again for listening, everybody. We are The Other Kind Radio. The Other Kind Radio. Radio. The Other Kind Radio. Radio. The Other Kind Radio. The Other Kind Radio. The other kind of